Listeners, another day, another episode, and the second in our Stanford series. While we've become pretty good at breaking down the science, our friend Fard has pointed out that maybe not so much the process of becoming a scientist. There are so many roles and titles that it's easy to get lost within the academic system. The stars of the current recordings are all postdocs or postdoctoral researchers, meaning that they're in their first roles after completing their doctorates. And yes, mum and dad, this is a real job. Doing said job is today's guest, Mark Farrow. So how about we meet him? So welcome folks to another one of our Two Scientists podcast. I am still in Stanford and we're going to do a quick round of kind of speed interviews with people. And my guest today is Mark Farrow. How are you, Mark? Uh, very good. Thank you. Thank you for coming out to speak to me. Um, so... We always start our podcast by asking our speaker a little bit about their background and how they ended up in the particular field that they're in. So, Okay, yeah. So thanks very much, first of all, for the interview. <laughs> like, very appreciated. It's like always cool to share research with everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, so my background, first of all, is called bioelectronics. Mm-hmm. So it's um, the field that tries to... Uh, interface uh, biology and uh, like biological tissue with electronics Mm -hmm. so the way I got there is a little weird probably like uh, most of the scientists Um, so my master was in uh, computer science and microelectronics and at the end of my master so in France I had an internship in like a computer security department which was uh, fun but uh, very like locked up inside the room in front of a computer all day and um, at the same time was a professor coming from the US uh, from Cornell actually starting a new department in my university in bioelectronics and I thought that was super cool and I talked to him and I just like ended up going to his lab and start my research that way so very random just like personal interests in like uh-huh. this crazy field and by your accent we can tell you're not from around these parts oh so yeah, yeah, yeah i'm trying to soften it i mean usually <laughs> my challenge is uh how long it takes people to figure out where i'm from so <laughs> i think it took you about a minute that's uh-huh. pretty good uh, <laughs> when i started that was about a few seconds so yeah little by little but yeah, you're originally from? I'm from uh, the f- f- southern France, from mm-hmm. Nice. Oh, very nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I'm awesome place. <laughs> awesome you must place. do that all the time. Very yes. nice. Um, so, on to your research specifically. Now, I was perusing your, your boss's website, which, like, actually, if you go to the kind of the different research projects, like, you have these amazing images. Now, yeah. you're telling me that this is actually a bit out of date. Yeah, we're redoing the website. So uh-huh. this one is like probably not updated for like a few years. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so first of all, my lab is in material science department. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is a lot of uh, fundamental research there on like the property of uh, materials and uh, how we can use them yeah. uh, and tune them for like specific applications. And one of the ramping interests is actually how can we like tailor 
the properties of certain materials to interface better with uh, biological media. Mm -hmm. So for example, sweat detector or like all the materials that would like, you know, smart tattoos mm -hmm. or like contact lens um, for like well-known projects. Um, mm -hmm. So there is this aspect uh, ramping up. And uh, I think when I arrived two years ago in my lab, uh, was only one project on uh, like bioelectronics. And now probably half the lab is in uh, this field. Oh, wow. So it's like a few different approach. Maybe uh -huh. I'll talk about it a little later. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely ramping up pretty nicely. Mm -hmm. So tell us specifically about your research then. So my research, how can I make that very like, broad? <laughs> uh, my research is to develop a new generation of brain implants um, that would like be minimally invasive for the brain. Mm -hmm. All right, so that's thrown. Now I'm probably gonna lay down a little bit the project uh, within like the scientific effort yep. uh, worldwide. So it's been probably like a few decades uh, that like electronics uh, has been implanted into like a human body um, so people i mean scientists do that for like two main purposes the first one is very fundamental can we understand better how the body and specifically the brain in my case works mm -hmm. so big mystery there is a lot of different approach for that um, one of them is uh, actually developing like tools that like very nicely integrate uh, with the brain and try to like record what's happening mm -hmm. and stimulate uh, the cells inside yeah. the brain. Um, oh yeah, you're a neuroscientist, you know, <laughs> you know that, that for everyone. Um, the other actually uh, aspect of that research is very clinical. So for example, um, park, people with like Parkinson disease, mm -hmm. like very severe Parkinson disease uh, that cannot be cured by like uh, medication, um, now have the option to like receive a brain implant that uh -huh. actually stimulates uh, like the part of the brain that doesn't work anymore. Mm -hmm. So those implants are called like deep brain stimulation implants, DBS. And uh, I think in the US, like total, it's been like. Uh, 200,000 people that has been implanted uh, oh, with wow. that type of implant. So large numbers mm -hmm. in a way, more than what we expect. So that's like what exists currently. Um, now the limitation uh, of those implants is um, actually taking the like technology that exists in the like computer uh, and electronic field, just yeah. like smartphones or computer and try to make that small and uh, like implantable. Uh, the problem of that is like, that's a very traditional vision of electronics mm -hmm. where we take like a stiff material, just like silicon and yeah. metals and try to implant that in a very, very soft uh, tissue. So um, if you want like a easy comparison, for example, mm -hmm. it's just like when you pick up a rose and there is this little spike and you spike your finger, that's mm -hmm. uncomfortable yep. and your body reacts a little bit, uh, nothing dramatic, but uh, for the brain, it's uh, very problematic because the brain has like amazing defense uh, mechanism. So it's going to try to like actually just uh, isolate the implant. Uh -huh. And in which case the implant doesn't have any more interaction with the brain. It's just yep completely into an envelope. Uh, so the problem for both clinical and fundamental um, like uh, research is that 
we have devices that doesn't last that long. Mm -hmm. um, so now what we try to do in uh, like material science um, is to come up with like a new set of uh, materials that uh -huh. like mimic better like the mechanical property of the brain mm -hmm. and uh, also are able to like interact with this very um, liquid environment. Mm -hmm. um, same comparison, if you take an iPhone and dip that into water, it's not gonna work <laughs> well. So pretty much the same for like brain implants. Yep. Um, so my specific project is to uh, develop like an implant with like a lot of uh, like interfacing parts, a lot of electrodes, mm -hmm. and that implant also doesn't perturb at all like the ecosystem of the brain. Right. Okay. So for you, I mean, people must have a weird impression when you tell them you're putting implants into people's brains, like. They, I, I would assume that they have a, a kind of very weird vision of what you do. So what are the kind of things that people have said to you and how do you explain to them that this is not like, we're not trying to control your brain, we're just trying to overcome a medical problem? Yeah, excellent question. I get this time, <laughs> I mean, I get this one like uh, a lot of the time. Um, so, I mean, first of all, like the romance aspect of it is uh, definitely like the Matrix mm -hmm. where like, there is that big chunky electrode that's implanted and uh, like the guy can like learn how to pilot an helicopter in like a uh -huh. few um, minutes. So if we like break down like how that could happen, uh, it's like a very stable connection with the brain and also understand what is like memory, mm -hmm. how we can like write into the memory and how uh, we can like actually control the brain so mm -hmm. that's like the matrix aspect of it yeah. so currently state-of-the-art uh, research is struggling to uh, have an implant that stays like a few uh, months or like mm -hmm. a few years in the brain and actually help people that are like completely paralyzed like closing their fists Right. So that's like as good as like the entire research in the world uh -huh. can be right now. So yeah. It's like closing a fist. So we don't have any like uh, like understanding, like deep understanding on like mm -hmm. what is memory. Yep. And we even less have a deep understanding on like how we can create like any type of memory. Mm -hmm. So. Um, Usually when I like think about it, because it's like also always like a concern of like where my research is going and like, uh -huh. am I doing like good things or like without realizing doing bad things? Um, I think it's pretty much right now we're in the situation where um, like the Greek philosophers were and they were like, oh, actually I have the feeling that the earth is round, but it's going to take me like a thousand years to uh -huh. actually demonstrate that. Yep. It's pretty much where we are yeah. right now. Yeah. I think certainly with the brain, I, I honestly don't understand the people who think that we'll be able to map it all out and understand consciousness uh, all within our lifetimes. I don't think that's going to happen in my lifetime yeah, for sure. me neither. Last time, actually, I was like reading a fact uh, that was like very insightful. It's like 
we have more neurons in the brain than like stars in our constellation, mm -hmm. which and is atoms like atoms in the galaxy, right? That's the other or, one, or the universe. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, pretty big. And also, so that's only like taking into account neurons, which mm -hmm. are like the excitable cells of the brain. Yep. We also have like a ton of other cells in the brain yep. that are called like support cells. And we have like three times more. Yep. So we have like three universe or four uh, universe of cells in yep. our brain to understand, which is, uh, you know, like yep. a lot of work. And uh, probably right now we're just trying to get to Jupiter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so exactly. Uh, yeah. Yes. We'll be lucky to land on Mars, I think. Yeah, and we'll be lucky if it lands. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> so um, my, my husband always likes to send through some silly questions. So since David's not here, on his behalf, what is a nano straw and would he put it in a nano cocktail? Oh, nano straw. Yeah, so... Uh, a nano cocktail. Yeah, that's a very good question. So <laughs> nano straw is actually um, like an in vitro project. Mm -hmm. um, which means that it's meant for like cell cultures. So we take oh, cells okay. and have that in a little like box, Petri dish. And uh, we try to actually understand how those cells behaves when we put different chemicals. So for example, like ph pharmaceutical research mm -hmm. uh, use this type of uh, technology a lot. So they want to, for example, you know, like make a drug that uh, decreases uh, like headache. So mm -hmm. they target specific cells for that. And they want to know how the molecule is gonna like inter interact with that cells. So the nanostraw is actually a very tiny device um, mm -hmm. that is just like a little vertical straw. Yep. And when you put a cell on top, uh, the cell actually just with gravity fuse with that nanostraw. Uh -huh. So you can ex establish a connection between like what's happening inside the cell yep. and like the outside world. Okay. So it's a very like fundamental tool to understand how cells work. That's very cool. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just picturing that now. That would be fun to play with, I think. So what are the, what are the kind of practical applications for something like this? For the nanostraw? Yeah. Um, I mean, pretty much also like fundamental, like understand how, like how cells uh, work. Mm -hmm. um, so cells have like a like a, like an inside and an outside, mm -hmm. and the inside and outside are like connected uh, through like little channels mm -hmm. that uh, let ions, which are like uh, species, uh, like in uh, in liquid. So they let those ions go in and out of the cell and uh, all the, the ions are not exactly the same. Mm -hmm. So some are like filtered, some goes inside, some not. And uh, so the nanostraw is like a very powerful tool to actually understand how like the cell membrane works. Yep. Um, so that's one part. The other part is uh, very for like pharmaceutical applications. Mm -hmm. So pharmaceutical research is like a lot of animals and uh, it's not an excellent model. It's yep. not ethically that great. Um, but it's also at the moment, what other choice do we have? Mm -hmm. So like the goals of those projects is uh, to actually offer uh, people like a better tool mm -hmm. to uh, like test molecules, for example, yep. on specific cells or yeah. Um, yeah. And without sacrificing animals every time. Yeah. So it's like developing molecules are like target better mm -hmm. also 
because like in vivo, like animals research is also mm -hmm. very hard to have an idea like yeah. uh, how that molecule impacts such a complex system absolutely it's like a full living life so yeah. um yeah very fundamental tool there very exciting that's cool um another one he had was so on your website again there is mention of the um graphene so he's saying uh is the promise hype or is it real what is graphene good for Ah, oh, man, tricky <laughs> question. <laughs> um, I mean, graphene is, uh, I can talk for like brain interface. I'm not like a very expert in graphene. Mm -hmm. uh, I can tell like graphene is uh, like new type of assembly of carbon. Uh, so they arrange in the specific manners and they have like specific properties in terms of like the way they can like... Uh, uh, carry like electrical charges for mm. example the way they will like react with light um, for like uh, like brain research yeah. uh, like graphene is also very good because it has like the ability uh, to um, capture ions mm -hmm. a little more like easier than like other materials yeah so the transduction the way uh, that material will like convert like ionic current, so the current in the body to like electrical current, mm -hmm. the current in the machine uh, is pretty good. Uh, it's like one material among like many. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. So you just weaseled out of that answer. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> graphene, I, I'm not like uh, using graphene mm -hmm. that much. Okay. Um, now, like another class of material that like really emerged those uh, last decades and specifically like those last year, mm -hmm. which are like polymer-based uh, material, um, and those ones have like also amazing abilities to uh, convert like ionic current to like um, electrical current. Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, I think those ones have like the main push at the moment in like the bioelectronics community mm -hmm. okay very cool um so on that note i will say thank you very much for speaking to us today um and yeah good luck with your work thank you very much like the fabrication of those like electrodes I'm doing so everything is done in a very controlled environment called like a clean room mm -hmm. so you have to like you know put your suit and everything and uh, because you cannot bring any dust inside that lab and uh, so it takes like a lot of effort you go there you're on a mission and uh, like fabricate your stuff so you have this like wafer which is like a substrate and like you grow many layers remove some and just like fab and fab and fab it takes like days of like very intense labor and, like that story is actually when i started so i'm uh, was in a mission cornell for like a few months to like uh, learn the fab and uh, do all that and uh, was working night and days and I have these samples in my hand that is probably like 10 grand without like the work and the equipment and the time 
And, uh, you know, there is this like very wise person uh, from the staff that is like, oh, you know, like it's a type of environment where you also want to like still chill sometime and take time and go out and have a beer. And I was like, nah, you know, I'm just starting my PhD. I just want to move fast. Yeah, and uh, of course, it's like one in the morning and I uh, brought that uh, goddamn samples. And uh, yeah, I received like a very angry email from my boss for all this uh, wasted money. And uh, that also taught me this very important lesson for the rest of my life. So it's good to be chill sometimes. And uh, from that day on, I'm uh, actually respecting the curse of the Friday afternoon experience. I want you to see I want you to see Through the rain and the sun When it all comes undone When we're over our heads When we've only just been hope you enjoyed this chat with Mark, but if you ever have any burning questions for him, any of our guests, or us even, remember you can always reach out on social media. Find us on Facebook and Instagram using the handle 2Scientists, or Twitter at 2Size, 2SCIS. Thanks again to the 10,000 Ways for today's track, Count On Me. But it's just you and me in the spaces between every Yep, yep, yep. Okay. Yeah. I think we're all awesome. Good.